So it's really designed to be a two-way street and to create that conversation from the very, very beginning points. So we're setting the expectations for what employment is going to be like, especially as a leader at our company. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, everyone. We're going to talk about how to enable partnerships with our hiring leaders, how to make sure that we're developing them so they're able to really have good conversations during the interviews and draw out the best sort of takeaways, all that kind of good stuff. And I cannot wait to hear some good notes, takeaways. I'll be taking my own notes over here in this conversation with Nicole Hirsch from Lattice. So, Nicole, before we get to some of that fun stuff, would you take a minute and tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for having me. So I've been in talent acquisition for over 15 years. I currently lead go-to-market and GNA recruiting for Lattice. So Lattice is a people management platform that's an absolute delight to use and helps you make the most of your talent. So before Lattice, I led go-to-market recruiting at Segment, the leading customer data platform, and we were acquired by Twilio. And prior to that, I led recruiting for a publicly traded education technology company. And I actually got my start in staffing during the financial crisis in 2008, which taught me a lot of lessons that I carry with me today, especially about interviewing. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear some of that fun stuff in the conversation. And I was telling you a minute ago before we start recording that I actually went following the Lattice team for a while. So I respect the work they're doing there around performance and development and all those kind of good things. But we were actually introduced by our friends over Bright Hire. So I'm excited to, to dive into some of those things, really talk about the, the interview piece. And just to give us a little bit of a shot across the bow to get you introduced to the audience a little more. What is something that you or your team has accomplished in the last year or two that you're really proud of when it comes to TA overall? Yeah, absolutely. My team and I, and this includes my broader people team, not just the talent acquisition team, we've put a lot of time and research into our approach to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and how we approach this in the talent acquisition process. So we spent time upfront researching what other companies are doing, companies similar to us, companies significantly larger than us, companies a smaller or earlier stage than we are. And just like us, all companies have constraints, even the biggest ones, resource restraints, regulatory restraints, especially around this topic. So the approach that we decided to take after doing this research is using predictive analytics to monitor and evaluate the diversity of our pipeline composition. So what's really encouraging is that through this research, we've demonstrated we have minimal to no bias in our pipeline pass-through rates. And that's allowed us to focus our talent acquisition efforts on the top of our funnel. We've also implemented as a part of this entire body of work an interview for our leadership roles earlier this year And that is focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, as well as leadership and values. So this is all ongoing work for us. This is not work that it's like, okay, we're done. We did it. 
but it's built so much confidence in our hiring process and it's added data to demonstrate our focus and our intention in this area. You know, what's interesting is later on at the event here, I'm actually going to be sharing some of the, some of the research we have. And one of the things you have no idea, by the way, you've never even seen this. Y'all know what I'm about to say, but for the audience's benefit, one of the things that we're going to share in there is that high-performing TA teams, ones that are proactive, not just reactive, trying to keep up with things, but proactive, leaning forward, looking at how they can partner, they're twice as likely to be using analytics when it comes to measuring when diverse candidates fall out of the pipeline and what sort of things they can do to keep them connected there. So y'all are right on target with that piece and really leaning in. That's so thrilling. Awesome. Okay. I want to ask you something there. You talked about interviews for leadership roles specifically. Y'all have something woven in. Talk about what it looked like before maybe, and then how this fits into that leadership selection, vetting sort of pipeline that you have. Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be a common theme that I think we're going to talk about today, Ben. And that is that the interview process is not just for the company or the hiring team or the hiring manager. The interview process is very much for the candidate as well. So taking a step back, Lattice previously did a values interview, and we still do a values interview, and it's based on our four core values that we're very proud of, and they're very distinct to us. So we have this values interview that's a part of every single interview process that we do. We made a decision that we wanted to be more active, especially in our leadership roles. And there's a chance we might expand this into our other roles. But we started off and saying, let's pilot this. Let's figure this out. Let's see how this works with our leadership roles specifically. So we took our existing values interview. And we also looked at what we wanted to come across to leadership roles, directors, vice presidents, senior vice president, even C-level roles from a diversity perspective. And we wrote a series of questions that took all of this into account. And these questions were written by a combination of folks in leadership, but led by our our director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So this interview that we have created, it's not only for us to have a conversation with candidates in the interview process, but it's also for candidates to get to know us and get to know how we view diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging as a company. So it's really designed to be a two-way street and to create that conversation from the very, very beginning points. So we're setting the expectations for what employment is going to be like, especially as a leader at our company. I like that. I'd spend a lot of time talking about setting that high bar for what we expect from leaders, not just saying, well, don't do these things over here because bad stuff will happen. We're like We're spending all our time on the minimum threshold, but never talk about but if you want to be great here, here's what we want you to aspire to. We'll give you some high marks for that. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So I'm going to jump over just a little bit because one of the things that we see in the data, we've been doing some research on interview screening and how to bring in the right candidates and how we actually discern who's the right person for the job. And one of the things that comes out of that, probably no surprise, is like one of those yeah, genius. We, we knew that. Like when we actually prep and train people to interview well, the hiring outcomes are better. They're less likely to pick the wrong person. They're less likely to be biased. They're more likely to pick the person who's going to perform better on the job. All that kind of stuff pops out there. And no one that heard that just now is surprised by that. And yet we've seen the data that a lot of employers still don't actively and intentionally develop and support and enable their hiring leaders to be better at interviewing. And so we're like, yeah, we know that's true, but we're not actually doing anything to make that happen. So I'd love to hear from you. 
What do you think about that? You're like, spot on. That's a little off. Here's what we find. I'd love to hear just your take on that. And then maybe we could talk about the practical side of how to actually do that well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to talk about the practical part. But first and foremost, it's 100% spot on. <laughs> there is this, something that's out there is that people with interpersonal skills don't need to plan for or prepare for or practice interviewing. Interviewing is a skill just like anything else. You don't get good at anything unless you're really gifted and that's great. But that doesn't mean that you can't get better without practice. Full stop. Think about any activity, whether it's a physical activity or a sport, or even think about it as something else that we might do as a hobby. You get better through practice, through repetitions, through having a plan and following that through. That doesn't mean that you always stick to that exact plan. That doesn't mean that there's not some deviations along the way, but it's about practice and repetitions and doing that over and over again. That's how we get better. And that's how we build intuition. Intuition doesn't come when you first start something. So, yeah. I'm thinking this reminds me of the common sort of fallacy around sales. Like someone who's really talkative makes a good salesperson. Like not always a good listener makes a good salesperson, but a good talker might talk over the person when they're about to give you the signal for what they're going to potentially buy. And the same thing probably carries over into recruiting overall but also into interviewing where just being able to talk, just being conversational, just being able to talk to a brick wall over here and just have a chat with, that doesn't mean that you're actually listening, that you're trying to make this like, I love the two-way street thing you said a minute ago, because we're giving and we're getting during that process. And if the candidate doesn't feel like they're getting anything back, they're just getting grilled the whole time. That sets us apart for the wrong kinds of reasons in the interview process. So, okay. I'm totally with you on that. What are your thoughts on the, you got something else to share? So consistency and planning, those are absolutely key. It doesn't matter how skilled of an interviewer you are, without a plan and without consistency, you will not have positive hiring outcomes. You might get lucky here and there, but you will not have consistent positive hiring outcomes without these things. So what does that mean? Because basically what I'm saying is one of the worst things that you can do as an interviewer is to wing it. So... Starting from the very top, you need to have competency-based interviewing. And to have competency-based interviewing, you need to have competencies for the job. So that's first and foremost. And then basing all of your interview questions, even if it's across several interviews, doesn't have to all be covering every single competency in every interview. I'd actually advise against that. Having these competencies for the job. And then making sure that you've got these competencies well represented in the interview process, because otherwise what you're going to have happen is interview fatigue. And I'll come back to that in a minute, but the way to, so it's like, okay, how do you, I've got my competencies. This is what is necessary to be competent and then to succeed in this job. Great. Then what? Well, then it's, you need to have interview questions. So how do you have interview questions? Well, ideally you want a mix of both behavioral interview questions and situational interview questions. And that gets to what you were talking about earlier, Ben, as well, about how do you get to what are your top three strengths versus what actually makes this person tick. And these behavioral questions give you the opportunity to understand how people have responded to situations in the past, recognizing that probably no two situations are going to be exactly the same. It gives the person who you're interviewing the opportunity to tell a story, to explain how what situation they were in, how they responded to it, what happened, what was the result, what did they learn? And that's going to also open up to a lot of follow-up questions. 
and the opportunity to really get deep between the interviewer and the candidate. And that's really where the magic happens. And any talented interviewer, whether they are a recruiter, a talent acquisition leader, an executive, or just a frequent interviewer, they're going to tell you that's where the magic happens. It comes from asking a question and continuing to ask a follow-up question. How did you respond to that? You know, what was the response? What did you learn? What would you do differently? Those follow-up questions, that's where you see. Because if someone in that is kind of BSing their answer, they're probably going to lean out from the interview question a little bit. They're probably not going to have really good responses for you, right? They have their canned responses and maybe they're out. But the qualified candidate, the person who's well-matched to the role that you're interviewing for this particular behavior they're going to lean in. They're going to say, even if they were, you know, a little bit light on some of those other things. Oh, I can't wait to tell you about this. Yeah. Oh my well, you know, and then I did this and then I did that. And even someone who, this is not about being extroverted or introverted because even the most introverted person, when you strike on these things and you ask them follow-up questions, you truly allow them to be heard. That's when they will lean in. And that's when you get that really good signal about how qualified someone is to be able to do this competency, this job. Excellent. Excellent. I'm literally making notes over here as we're talking because I'm getting some good stuff from this. One of the things that you talked about, like, don't wing it, actually prep, actually plan. It's a lot harder to do an interview right than it is to do it quickly and fast, right? I thought of the, I, I'm going to butcher the old saying that's like, if you got an hour to cut down a tree, spend the first 50 minutes sharpening your axe, basically, like, make that last little bit count instead of saying, okay, I've got 10 minutes for the interview. What am I going to ask Nicole? You know, what did I ask the last person? I'll just change those questions up. Or I'll go Google some questions. No, take a little bit more care and concern with that because what happens in the interview is going to ultimately drive the decision you make for who to hire. And if you give it half effort, you're going to get half results or worse. Exactly. So then how do you probably, how do you actually do that? Yes. And this is where the partnership piece comes in. And this is what's really important. If the hiring manager does everything, if the recruiter does everything, this is where the partnership piece comes in and really makes some magic happen. You get the best outcome with a blend of the recruiter talent acquisition partner and the hiring manager designing the interview process, the interview loop, if you will, and the interview questions. That allows for the hiring manager to contribute what they know about their team, the design of their organization, the future of their organization, not just what they need for the next six or so months, but what they need for the next year, 18 months. What do they see from three years from now? If they you know, can look around the corner that far about what's next, not just for their organization, but how their organization contributes to the business. And then you bring the recruiter's expertise of okay, well, these types of questions will get us this type of an outcome. You know, we've tried doing this in this other interview and this is what we've seen. So bringing this combination of expertise together, is going to get you the best possible outcome. It's this like better together type of mentality. Would you recommend like a strategy meeting, something else before the interviews, not necessarily for every single one of them, but before the interview sort of begins before this whole block begins for this hiring position, just like we had a, an intake meeting to get the reg posted and start the vetting early on, should we have a separate sort of conversation about this that says, okay, these are the right questions to ask, just like you were saying, like, I'm going to layer these in, you're going to layer those in, here's what that's going to look like, we're going to bake a great cake together because we got all the right ingredients. Is that what you recommend or is there a better way to do that? 
Yes, been looking at my notes, Ben. So, so. I'm I'm peeking over the edge of the screen here. Here we go. (laughs) So we call that a pre-cap meeting. And a pre-cap meeting, ideally, so you design this interview, right? So this recruiter and this hiring manager design this interview together. You write questions. And then the other thing that becomes really helpful is even asking for feedback. If you are asking an interviewer to contribute, also asking them for their expertise. If you've got an interviewer who's focused on cross-functional collaboration, or if you've got an interviewer that's focused on some technical aspect that they have the most expertise in, you want to write some questions for them, but then you also want to go and ask them for their input when you can. And a pre-cap meeting is best case scenario. I want to be really honest about the fact and realistic about the fact that you're already asking these folks as a part of your interview team for some of their time, right? This may or may not be on their team. This is probably going to be a role that they work with, but you're already asking for some of their time. So best case scenario, absolutely. You do a pre-cap meeting, you send a pre-read, say, here's the job description, here's what we're looking to find in this interview. This is the signal that we're looking for. Here are the two competencies interviewer that we're going to ask you to focus on. Because by the way, if you don't do that, then every single interviewer is going to ask probably the same set of questions and get who knows what kinds of responses. And then you get that's when you get that interview fatigue that I was talking about earlier. Now, if you can't get everybody together in the same room, even for 15 minutes, that's okay. Honestly, an email or another type of message will do, whether you use Slack or Teams or whatnot. And you can send out this message and say, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for contributing to our interview process. Here's what you're going to be focused on in this interview. Here are all of the details that you have. Oh, and by the way, all of your interview questions will be in the applicant tracking system. That's the other piece that's absolutely critical. Every interview question needs to be in the applicant tracking system so that way everyone can take notes specifically there and take notes consistently to candidate. Exactly. Okay. I want to ask you 47 other questions, but I know we're getting close on our time. Anything we didn't cover that you're like, oh, this is my one last killer tip or anything you want to double down on, like just do this thing if you could do nothing else before we wrap up? Well, the one thing... If you can, and if you have the resources to do it, we started, I mentioned that we started partnering with Bright Hire and Bright Hire, it's a tool that records and transcribes interviews. And I got to be honest, there was a lot of hesitation across our business for recording interviews. And now that we've been using it for a little over six months now, people love it. It transcribes interviews. It allows you to be present as an interviewer in the moment with your candidate And to not have to be furiously typing notes, I like to capture everything. And the fact that I know I've got a backup of something capturing notes for me, that's a nice to have. I would say it's an awesome tool. If you can do it, try it out. I promise you will get a lot more buy-in than you expect that you will. But I will tell you what is an an absolute must-do every time, and that is debriefs. And debriefs are so underrated, and they are so important. They're a little complicated sometimes getting everyone together. What if all the scorecards were positive? What if they were all negative? You still have something to learn from a debrief. So expectations for debriefs, set them up front, set it in that pre-cab meeting that we are going to debrief and we'll batch them together if we can. And we're going to do them in a timely way. But your expectation interviewer is to get your scorecard filled out thoroughly and on time within 24 hours and recruiter, your expectation is to be prepared to read through these scorecards, put together themes, ask questions. This is not just a recap of the interview. This is looking for areas where we have 
conflicting signal where people got differing points of view yes. on this same candidate. And it allows us to say, you know, what is it that we need to either uncover in later interviews, or is there anything else about our interview process that we need to adjust? So debrief, even if it's short, do them. <laughs> I think that's a great reminder that this is a process ultimately. It's a lot of humans involved. There's a lot of interaction involved, but it's we're trying to pick the right person and we're trying to make sure they know enough about us to know if they want to pick us as an employer. And at the end of the day, that's the ultimate goal of this whole thing. Exactly. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a blast. I'm going to make sure and I'll tag you right here in the comments so everybody can connect with you on LinkedIn. Y'all let Nicole know that y'all enjoyed hearing her, learning from her and her insights, what they're doing over at Lattice. Thank you again for the Bright Hire team for putting us together. And Nicole, you're a treasure. Appreciate your time. Likewise, Ben. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 